0: for me to uh, go visit our uh, other campuses and venues at Scottsdale Bible Church. And uh, I said this before, but I really mean it. Cactus has a real special place in my heart and mind because uh, you guys were the first ones to, to help us venture uh, off-site at the Shea campus and to see if we could uh, truly be a church with multiple sites. And I texted Rick a couple of weeks ago, happy birthday at, at your four-year uh, mark. And it really has been amazing. You can clap at that. Yeah, it's been really amazing. And so it's, it's you guys hold a special place in my heart and in many of the people of the Bible Church, their hearts, and so it's really fun for me to be here. And, and also, it's really fun for me, as I've said before, to look at the camera and say, I'd like to welcome the Shea Campus for joining us in our time in the Word, and then Mountain Valley as well, because uh, I think it's good for, for all of us to know that this is how we do our time in the Word to be one church, and that's to have uh, just various venues and, uh, and, and even sometimes to receive it live via video. And today we really got some we're going to be digging deep today. I, I know that um, some of you may, maybe don't like that, uh, you don't like to, to, to really get into the Bible. you might be new it or what have you. But you know one of the things that I love, and I felt called nine years ago to come here, is that Scottsdale Bible Church isn't afraid to deal with difficult topics like the one we're going to deal with today, and then even do a deep dive in them and really ask ourselves what? does the Bible say about, say, the topic before us and not be afraid to look deeply at what the Bible says. And that's what we're going to do today. And I think for those of you who stay with me and engage God in his word right now, you're going to be very glad that you did because you're going to come out the other side here heading to the communion table, maybe even learning something that you didn't know when you walked in. And I think that might be helpful for you. So with that said, let's bow and pray and we're going to dive right in. God, we're really grateful for the gathered church here and then, uh, Lord, certainly at uh, the Shea Worship Center and then the chapel and the venue in Mountain Valley. We thank you, God, that you've blessed us to be the kind of church that can have multiple venues, but then the unified gathered time in your word. So as we open up to the very words of Jesus today, I pray that you would speak to us about this all important topic that, that we call judging and help us understand it rightly and be mature followers of jesus as a result and i pray this in christ's name and we all say together amen, amen. so if Adam is my guess there's not one person here not one that likes to be judged and found lacking right like whoever enjoys that experience i was given thought this week like when was the last first time i can remember in my life that i was judged by somebody outside of myself and found lacking. And the earliest memory I have was when I was in eighth grade. Here's a picture of me in eighth grade. You're gonna love this. This was the uh, Chagrin Athletic Association basketball team. Uh, I grew up in a little town called Chagrin Falls, 1977 to 78. And uh, this was our nine person team. I'm the little guy in the front here. I was very small in eighth grade. I was four foot ten, 80 pounds. and, And the reason, there's a reason that I'm looking absolutely miserable in this picture. And that is because almost every other kid on the team was in seventh grade, and when I was in eighth grade, I tried out for the eighth grade basketball team, but when you're four foot 10, 80 pounds, and you can't throw a basketball 10 feet high, you're not a very good basketball player. And so I didn't make the eighth grade basketball team, so my dad enrolled me with a bunch of seventh graders in CAA, and I was not very happy all year. It took years of therapy to get over this event. (laughs) (laughs) but it was one of the few times I I remember early on where I was judged and found lacking and if I don't miss my guess every one of us have had that experience in life we might we might even be able to tell the story of when that happened to us I, I mean it's all over the place in culture today school is this way you got grades you got sports you got awards not everybody gets one Uh, Business is this way. you got performance reviews, bonus structures, uh, quarterly goals. Many times you're found lacking. Uh, Surely society is this way. you got traffic laws and taxes and things like that. So there are tons of things in this world in which you and I are measured by things and people outside of us. And sometimes you measure up really well, but sometimes you don't. And my simple point is nobody likes to be judged and found lacking. So then we come to our faith, we come to Christianity, we come to Jesus, and some of us think, well, gosh, we get to escape all of this, but ironically, you don't. But when I first became a Christian, I started reading the Bible. I, I, I read that they call God in the Bible a judge. And that God is about judging and that God makes judgments and things like that. And I thought, wow, I thought I was going to get away from all of this stuff. And then I started interacting with Christians. And as you guys know, many Christians have mastered the art of judging, right? Like they're really good at that one. And then I started reading Jesus and Jesus even talks about judging In fact, this week, in my study, I was reading a lot of the the Greek words. We'll get to that in a minute for for judging. And and, and judging and its cognates or variations appears over 150 times in the New Testament alone. The word judge. That's like an average of six times for every book in the New Testament. And so, as a result of this, I tend to find that Christians fall into one of two camps. Have you ever noticed this? You have the "Do not judge Christians." Matthew chapter seven: "Judge not, that ye be not judged." And there's Christians who say you should never judge. But then there's a whole other group of Christians that say no. It's First Corinthians two fifteen, which we'll get to in a minute, that says the spiritual person judges all things. And so you got the soft Christians, you got the hard Christians, and my point to you today is that I'm not sure either group within the church really understands what the Bible says about judging. I'm not sure that there's Christians out there that have really done a deep dive into what Jesus and the Bible say about this all important topic and understood biblically and rightly uh, what the Bible says about judging. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna do a deep dive into what the scriptures say, and we're gonna bounce off the last verse in this series that we're in. We've been in one chapter in the Bible, John chapter 12, and it's gonna bounce us into this idea of judging. And my goal is to help us finally get a handle on this. But I will, will warn you, and I said this earlier to you guys this is not an easy topic, and I'm telling you, it's not an uncomplicated topic. It's why so many Christians are confused on it. It's not black and white. It's not completely clear in the Bible where the lines are. And so we're going to do our best today to look at a lot of biblical evidence and try to understand for our lives today what God says our posture should be to this idea of judging. So we're in a series called Adjustments. We're going to look at the sixth adjustment today that has to do with this idea of judging. We've been in one chapter of the Bible for six weeks, John chapter 12. We're now to the tail end of it. So let's read the portion of Scripture before us, John 12, verses 44 to 50. It's in your outline. Maybe you have your own Bible. If not, let's look up here on the screen. And this is what it says. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him, that's the word I spoke, that is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak in my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know his commandment is eternal life, and therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Now, as I said to you guys earlier, the word judge appears about once every or six, about six times in every book in the New Testament. So that's about on average. But if you were paying attention as I read the scripture here, this is only seven verses and the word judge appeared how many times? Four times. So it doesn't take a biblical scholar to know that Jesus is talking about the idea of judgment here. But this is where we need to be really careful. Because you see, if you just take this scripture and look at the four uses of judgment in, 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 in isolation here, you'd come up with a really bad and quite frankly, out of whack view of judgment. You really would. Because this is only part of the story. If, if you remember earlier, I said there's over 150 uses of the word judge in the New Testament. So we're missing 146 of them right here. So what I did this week is I looked at all the different uses of the words judge, that's what you guys pay me to do, to do a study on this. And what I want to do right now, as we try to understand Jesus's words here is see them in the backdrop of what we're going to call a whole biblical view of judgment or judging. In other words, I want to give you a biblical primer right now on judging. And to do that, we need to look at this idea of judging from two biblical standpoints. The first is that we need to look at what the Bible says about God, Jesus, and judging. In other words, what's their take on it when they look at all of humanity? That's the first thing we need to do. And then the second thing we need to do is say, based on that, what does the Bible say about us and our approach to judging. Does that make sense? So let's start with God, and then if you will, we'll work our way down. So let's look at Jesus's judgment of us. And it's gonna start out a little bit ominous, but it's gonna get kind of glorious. So just notice three things that Jesus says. The first thing Jesus says, and this one's mind blowing, our world really doesn't understand this, is that humanity and their unbelief and their behavior judges themselves. See, many people think that God is up there with a gavel just being the big judge right now, but it's ironic. God actually says that's not where it all starts. Where it starts is that humanity from birth, in their unbelief, in their, their, their own deeds, acts as kind of self-judgment upon themselves. Look at how Jesus would say this when he was on this earth. In John 3, 18 and 19, he says, he who believes in him, meaning Jesus, is not judged. We'll get to that in a minute. He who does not believe has been judged already. Isn't that interesting? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil. So simply note here that Jesus is saying that judgment begins with self-judgment. People judge themselves by their unbelief and their lack of their willingness to come to Christ and then their own deeds because we're all fallen. We all got issues in our lives. Those act as self-judgment as well. And so this is what I believe Jesus is saying. Now let's go to verse 47 in our passage here. This is what Jesus is saying when he says, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. See, we're gonna see in a second that Jesus is actually gonna turn the tables and say that he is the judge. So we gotta understand the complexity here. What he's saying in verse 47 here is John 3. He's saying that judgment doesn't begin with him. That judgment begins with people's own self-judgment based upon their unbelief and even their behavior. Does that make sense? So it's like if your kid, any of you parents, if your kid steals a cookie from the cookie jar (laughs) before you even have to say anything, there's a good chance your kid's gonna know that he or she did something wrong because they have a conscience and they know right from wrong. And there's something inside them that judges what they did. We call that self-judgment before you have to say a word and god says it's the same with humanity that they self-judge themselves and that's where it all starts now there's a second thing jesus says however when it comes to his judgment of us and that is that based on the self-judgment jesus will someday judge humanity but again it's based upon their own self-judgment through their own unbelief and behaviors so this is really important to see look at john 5 22. jesus says for not even the father judges anyone but he has given all judgment to the son so again we got to understand the complexity here humanity self-judges themselves and this is how i think it works i think then jesus at the end of time is going to put his imprimatur on people's own self-judgment <laughs> he's basically going to affirm the choices that you and i make this side of heaven, primarily the choices to believe in him or not that's confirmed by our own actions and deeds. And so if Jesus acts as a judge at all, and he does because all judgments can be given to the Son, at the end of time, he's going to put a stamp of approval on any choices humanity has made when it comes to him. And in that way, he is our judge. And this is affirmed again, going back to our passage before us in verse 48 that I read for you earlier. Jesus says, he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him, and it's the word that I spoke that will judge him. So again, that collates with the rest of Scripture here. So you have this self-judgment that all of humanity is under by their unbelief and their deeds, and then you have Jesus' judgment that's gonna affirm the self-judgment that people already have, And just so we don't think that God's a big downer, look at the third thing that he says that, again, should blow your mind because this is the gospel, gang. And that is that believers in Jesus will not come under, under any eternal judgment. I mean, this is the heart of the gospel of Jesus, that all of humanity is under judgment because of their own sin, their own rebellion, and they get it. There's a self-judgment that they get in their innermost parts. Jesus someday will affirm that, but then he's given us a way out. But Look at how he says it in John 5, 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come in to judgment, but is passed out of death into life. So there is no judgment for people who follow Jesus. Why? Because the slate's been wiped clean. You've been forgiven. As the Old Testament says, I've thrown your sins into the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, so far I've thrown them from you. I used to see you as red as scarlet. Now I see you as white as snow. So gosh, those are wonderful word pictures of the fact that he has forgiven us completely because of his atonement for our sins and our consequent belief in him. And therefore, there can't be any judgment so again i don't know about you guys but this makes sense to me i mean this i got 30 years ago or 35 years ago when i became a christian that humanity is under judgment because of their sin and they get it there's a self-judgment in that jesus is going to affirm that someday but if you don't want to be judged then do life on jesus's terms (laughs) And, and he will not judge you now what does this mean then for you and i today again, you got a lot of Christians who are out there doing a lot of judging stuff. And, and so what does then the Bible say about our judgment? Give me one more click here. Our, uh, one more. There, our judgment and the world around us. And, and believe it or not, the reason we just had to look at that quick view of God's judgment or Jesus's judgment is because our, now don't miss this, our approach to judging or not judging others around us comes right out of Jesus' approach to judgment. And it's interesting, when you look closely at all the biblical uses of the word judge and judging and judgment in the original Greek that the New Testament was written in, as I did this week, what is fascinating is the complexity and the differing views, not differing views, but various views based on various words that the Bible has to help you and I understand what we're to do and not do with being judging. What do I mean by that? There's actually one primary word in the New Testament for judge. And it's the Greek word krino. That's gonna be important for you to remember. K-R-I-N-O, krino, it's a transliteration from the Greek. And it's the word that we translate in your English Bible, judge. But just like we have English words in which you have variations of them through prefixes and suffixes and things like that, the Greek language has the same. So there's other words in the Greek that the Bible uses built on the word krino, and they are the words anakrino and diakrino, and watch this, they mean judging, but they mean judging in a different sense than krino. So what do we mean by this? This is gonna be really, boy, di- if you've ignored everything up to this point and have been thinking about memes or something like that, whatever you're gonna to go to for lunch, dial in right now. Because this is worth the price of admission, which has been free to most of you. The word anakrino, we translate many times judge uh, in, from the Greek. And the word means to discern, discern. It's sometimes translated examine or appraise. But what it means is to look at something closely and make a discernment about it, to think about it. And again, you guys do this all stinking day long. And what the Bible does is it actually affirms this form of of judgment. It affirms on a crino. In fact, from a spiritual perspective, look at 1 Corinthians 2.15. It says, the spiritual person judges on a crino all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Why? Because God is the one who's going to judge or not judge us as believers. But there's an aspect, don't miss this, in which we are to judge all things around us. The same word is used in Acts 17, verse 11. Go to Acts 17, 11 here, uh, where it says uh, that the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining on a crino the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So again, what did they do? They simply examined something, and again, that's a form of judging in order to be discerning and again what I need you guys to see is that the Bible says that kind of judgment is a good thing so how does this work again you guys do this all day long but true story the other day I was uh flipping through the channels I, I loved I'm a, I'm a couch potato and I love to watch TV. I know most pastors don't like to admit that, but let's just be honest. I mean, we all like certain things and I like TV. I'm not ashamed of that. And, and there are certain shows I love to watch. I love some of the discovery channel and history channel and stuff like that, but, but I'm always looking for new stuff. So many times Kim will see me, you know, looking down the, you know, that, that, that little list of things that are on there. And there's two channels I usually skip by very quickly. And those are MTV and VH1. History has shown me that they don't collate with my Christian worldview very well. Again, I'm just trying to be discerning. And this is a true story. And this particular day, I was slipping down and I looked and it was on one of those two stations, there was a show, and I kid you not, called Dating Naked. Dating Naked. Now, let me ask you an obvious question. Does it take much discernment to know that a Christian probably shouldn't click on dating naked? Yes or no? Not really. I know some of you are squirming in your seat right now, and I'm meaning to help you squirm in your seat, but the reality is, is I'm not sure. I was telling one of my kids about this, and I won't say which, but he he said to me, I only have one son. Anyway, he said to me, (laughs) but dad, he goes, it doesn't really show anything. And I said, well, one, how do you know? And then secondly, I thought to myself, but it it doesn't matter if it shows anything or not. Just the whole idea of that, at least from my standpoint as a Christian, isn't something I think God wants me to watch. Again, that might seem like a very simple example to some of you, but that's the idea behind it. And that's an easy one, by the way. That's not a difficult one. You and I have days filled with choices that we have to make about what things we're gonna be involved in, what stuff we're gonna put into our head, and that's anacrino. Be discerning about that. That's a good form of judging, to make appraisals and to examine things to see if they are of God or not. And think about it. If you never did this, if you never engaged in Anacrino in your life with the world around you, I would say. Submit, you'd be a moral mess, which is why a lot of Christians are a moral mess, because <laughs> you'd never have discernment, and God wants you to have that. So that's the first step of judging. Now, notice with me, and this kind of builds one upon the other, the other word used in the scriptures for judging, and that's diakrino. Diakrino, and this word means to decide. Isn't this interesting? The word dia in the Greek means through. So, so what it means is, is that you are to judge through something and the word picture here is that you separate things out you make a distinction between things that you discern now watch this and when you make a distinction you then make a decision and you decide something and it's a powerful word in the new testament look at how jesus would use this word in matthew 16 verses 2 and 3 it's fascinating in this translation the nasb it's translated discern we'll get to that in a minute but jesus says It says this. He says, when it is evening, you say, he's referring to his crowd in the first century, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. Remember the Sailor's Creed? Fair weather because the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today because the sky is red and threatening tonight. And then Jesus says, do you know how to discern, it should almost be translated decide, diacrino, the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the time interesting the way jesus uses this so jesus is saying here that 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 sailors know how to discern the weather the night before that if the sky is red there's going to be storms tomorrow but it's the word diacrino because what you actually did was you discerned and then you decided it wasn't going to rain tomorrow or it was going to rain tomorrow in this case That's the power behind this word. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5, in a similar way. Paul says, Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide diacrino between his brethren? So we'll get to this in a minute. But even in the church, there are times that we're called upon to make decisions, discernments in which we decide something. And, and I, some of you don't like this, we'll explain it in a minute, it is a form of judging, but the Bible says that it's a good form of judging. So you got anachrino, which means to discern. You got diachrino, which means to decide, and these are good things. And then you come to the word crino. Now this is amazing, the, the, the root word here. And that word by itself means to decree. It means to state something, to to provide a, a, a firm solution or decree upon something. And it's usually used in the negative in the scriptures to talk about condemning somebody. It's the main word, gang, that God uses when it comes to how someday he will judge humanity, that if they persist in unbelief, if they persist, in in, in separation from him, that he will eventually decree, crino, judge, and it won't be a good judgment. That's how this word is primarily used. Now watch this. Jesus would use this word to tell us what we should or shouldn't do with judgment. Look at Matthew chapter seven, verses one and two here. Jesus said to us, do not judge, crino, so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged all crino here. Now now gang, follow this. It's going to be very important for us in a second here. We are told to honor crino. We are told to dea crino. Here's what you need to know about crino. When it comes to the eternal decrees in which you would say to somebody, you're going to hell, (laughs) the scriptures say you are never to judge that way. That is only for God. This is why that, that, that view of God and judging was so important that we looked at earlier. That's between God and that person over and over again. And it's not just Matthew 7. If you want other scriptures for those of you taking notes, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Romans 14, 4, Romans 2, chapter 1. We are told not to judge, not to crino. We are told that when it comes to that eternal condemnation that might come for some someday if they persist in unbelief, that is not our call. Give me a head nod, y'all understand that. That is between God and the other person. Now, because some of you know the Bible, I will mention this. God does say that someday some Christians at the end of time will be a part of that kind of judging. And that blows my mind. Look at what Jesus said to the apostles that was also affirmed in other parts of Scripture uh, for other believers. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, meaning the 12, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon the 12 thrones, judging Crino, the 12 tribes of Israel. So doesn't that blow your mind? That someday God says, and it's not just the 12, because there's other scriptures in which Paul says, don't you know that you will be a part of that judgment? That Jesus will ask us to join that judgment, but please hear this, gang, that's at the end of time. It ain't now. I I love how my buddy Schrader said it this week. We were talking about this passage, and he said to me, just wild that someday God says that I might be judging the 12 tribes of Israel, but I can't even get selected for jury duty now in (laughs) Gilbert's. See, that's the idea behind it. That should blow your mind. But here's the point. God says don't start practicing that now. And so add all this up. This is really important. We're called to discern anacrino, check checkmark. We're called to decide. Checkmark. We are not called to do that. And this is where I think a lot of Christians get in trouble. Uh, Rustin this week gave me this great illustration. It's so simple. I'm can't believe I missed it, but he, he referred to how many Christians walk around holding a spiritual gavel. <laughs> and, and Rustin's simple point was that Christians need to put down the gavel. And we need to stop walking around culture condemning everything and, and God forbid, even saying to them on a personal level, you're going to hell. Because though we know Christians that do that, there is no biblical basis for us to ever look somebody individually in the eye and say you're going to hell. That is a judgment that we have not been given. Doesn't mean you can't talk about hell. Doesn't mean that hell's not a reality. Don't hear me saying that. It's just that you and I do not have the gavel. We are not called to pick it up. And just imagine what would happen if just just with this one aspect of judging, if most Christians, if not every Christian, were to put it down and say, I'm not doing that. Think, Eric, what our witness would be like. Oh, my gosh. There'd be no stopping us. The Bible says that we are salt and light in dark places. But as long as we're judging at that level, they're never going to hear us. But the reality is, is that they can hear us. Because again, and and here's, you know, some of you, I know how you think, you're thinking, well, if I don't tell them, who will? What's the answer to that one, by the way? God. Again, that's why that theology of God and judgment is so important. Do you understand? He's at work in those people. There's a self-judgment going on. Trust me, they know it. And there's a Holy Spirit who's convicting them all the time of their sin. It's just that that's not you. You're not the Holy Spirit, neither am I. We have our hands full just trying to do this. Amen. We got Amen. amen. I don't know about you, but I mean, this is tough enough. I, I mean, some of you are already embarrassed by the dating naked thing. You should be, because you're not doing this very well. And the reality, I know i sound so judgmental, but the reality is, is that if we just can find ourselves here, as we're going to see in just a second, this fills our plate as it is. You and I don't need to be going there. And we need to help other Christians not go there as well. And so let me just wrap up a little bit by talking about how we apply the discerning and deciding thing because this is where it does get tricky. I, you know, if you, some of you caught it earlier and, and you could hear a pin drop when I was talking about it. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.5 does say that you and I need to Crino and diachrino not just things around us, but people. Did you catch that? See, I think that's where the real rub comes in. I I mean, as long as I stand up here and say that you and I need to be discerning and deciding when it comes to like what TV shows we watch or what news articles we might accept or not accept or what ASU lectures we're gonna buy into or not buy into. I mean, that's hard enough, but no one gets in trouble shouting that one from the rooftops, especially within a Christian church. But as soon as we look at 1 Corinthians 6, 5, and it says, is there not one among you who is wise, who will be able to decide between his brethren? Did you guys catch this earlier? That seems to suggest that we need to Crino and diachrino at times each other. Eee. I think that's where Christians also get in trouble, Amen. I was with the guy the other day, and by the way, they get in trouble on both sides of the fence. I was with the guy the other day who was telling me that he was in one of our Bible studies recently, our Bible studies here at the church, and it was a single guy's Bible study. And, and at one point, one of the guys in it was just talking about how he's uh, moved in with his girlfriend, and he's sleeping with his girlfriend, and, and yet they're, they're having Bible studies and praying, and isn't it all wonderful, and someday they're going to get married and all this. And, and my friend just casually mentioned in the front of the Bible study group, he said, well, you know, I'm not sure that God really wants... Christians doing that you know and the guy said what do you mean he said God doesn't have a problem with that and he said well he said actually if you look at Hebrews 13 you know it says keep the marriage bed pure and 1 Corinthians 7 gives instructions on how we're supposed to act toward the the virgin that we're engaged to and it doesn't mean you know sleeping together and 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 and, and as soon as he explained that again you guys have seen this happen a thousand times the other guy looked at him and said don't judge me right Because he was feeling a little bit of the weight of that. And the question I want you to wrestle with right now, because these are very real scenarios, is one, is that okay? And if it is at all okay, how do we approach that and deal with that in a way that doesn't always make everybody feel judged? Amen? I mean, how how do we do that? And and believe it or not, I've given a lot of thought to this over the years because many of the problems that come to my attention in the church are almost always of that nature. It's somebody who got offended and ticked off by another, at times, well-meaning Christian who just made the other person feel like crud, and and, and it gets very complicated. I told you earlier, this a complicated issue. It gets very complicated very fast, because as we've seen, we are to onocrino, we are to diocrino, we are to be discerning, and at times even deciding, and and even this passage suggests that we need to do that with people. So the question becomes, how do we do it with people in such a way that... Maybe might work rather than blow up in our face. And here's what I want to share with you, and I and I think I'm right on this. When when you look closely at the ministry of Jesus, and then you look closely at the first century church, and then you even look closely at many of the Old Testament examples, you realize this: that mature followers of God did engage in discerning and deciding, even with others, but and this is a big but, they almost always, almost always did so with two overriding values in tow. And these two overriding values made all the difference. You ready for this? And that is that they did so when they were in current relationship with the other person and they did so when they had either implied or explicit permission from the other person to speak. Isn't that interesting? In other words, deciding and discerning as it pertains to others within the community of faith, it was almost always in the scriptures, an organic entity, up close and personal. I love you and I'm in relationship with you. And there was an implied permission that you have my permission to do that. Some of you are going, wait, is that really true? It is. I I thought this week of all the, the times Jesus discerned and decided. And by the way, he did a lot of that when he was on this earth. He even decreed at times. Remember what he did with the Pharisees? But he could do that. Why? he's God he has the gavel and at times he used the gavel but many times he would just decree I'm sorry discern and decide but you look closely in almost every scenario almost everyone he did so in the casing of relationality and with implied or explicit permission from that person to do so and the way Jesus sought permission was by asking a bunch of questions you ever notice that He's with the woman at the well, he's asking questions, he's relational with her, and then he moves into discerning and deciding mode. He's with Pilate even, the Roman governor, and he finally gets Pilate to ask him, what is truth? And then Jesus says, well, now that you asked, (laughs) but you you see what I'm saying here? It's an in-relationship, Jesus, even with Peter, when he said harsh things to Peter and he was discerning and deciding, it was in relationship. And with implied permission. And see, this is where I think Christians get in trouble. We are so impositional, amen? We're constantly butting ourselves into other people's business. We're like gossips, the Bible says. And we're talking about things that we have no right to talk about and we're involving ourselves into people's lives that we are not in relationship with. But dream with me for a minute. This was the New Testament church. Imagine if you had all these little close-knit community and fellowship groups in which you really got to know each other and had maybe eight or ten people or just four or five people in your life that know you and love you and speak to you and you've given them permission to discern and even decide to, 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 to onocrino and things into your life. Imagine how life-giving that might be to you. And imagine how much we would not hear all these don't judge, don't judge, don't judge because we're doing it the right way. I had this happen to me this week and I'm telling you, it really does work. I got a a dear friend in this church, one of my closest friends in life. He was part of the search team that brought me here and he was on the elder board and then uh, we hired him as one of our pastors and he and I remained close friends. And this week we were meeting for breakfast, not to talk about the church, but just our lives. And at one point he asked me, and this is always an awkward question, at one point he said to me, he said, you know, a couple years back you mentioned that you think you understand my strengths and weaknesses, and I've just been meaning to ask you, would you mind sharing those with me? And my initial response was, yes, I would mind sharing those with you because I want to keep the friendship. I don't mind sharing the strengths because nobody ever argues with you when you share their strengths. But you see, and I told him this, the problem with weaknesses is that most of us have blind spots when it comes to our weaknesses and the whole nature of blind spots is that you don't see them and that's why you've had them for all your life and, and it never really does a lot of good to share somebody their, their overt weaknesses. In fact, I said to him, I said, I know your weaknesses and I can promise you, I got your back. That's how I serve you and your weaknesses. I got your back. And he said, yeah, I know, but I'd rather you share them with me anyways. And so I did. And he has blind spots, I'm telling you, he didn't see them at least to the degree that I wanted him to, or even I don't really care if he does or not. But you know, as I shared them with him, and they were some pretty overt things, and I even said, check with your wife, she'll agree with me. You know, those are things that you have in your life. Uh, He didn't get mad at me. He never looked at me and said, don't judge me. Why? (laughs) Because he's one of my best friends, and we're in current relationship, and he asked. He gave me permission to do that. And though many times it's not that clean, I find that if you can, this is the best way to Crino and diacrino with those around you. Now, let's be really mature about this. I warned you this was complicated. Is there a time ever that we will discern and decide when people don't give us permission, yes or no? Yeah, there will be. Are you a parent? (laughs) There have been plenty of times in the history of my parenting where I have anacrinoed and diacrinoed my kids' rear ends, and the reality is they didn't give me permission to do so. And let's take this even further. There have been times that Kim has anacrinoed me, and I didn't like it. I didn't give her really, quote, somebody once said to me last night, they said, well, actually, you did give her permission when you said I do. And I thought, well, that's a good point. But in that moment, (laughs) in that moment, I didn't give her permission to do it. And I've had good friends, good friends that have almost performed interventions on me <laughs> and, and 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 said we need to share some truth with you. And you see, here's my point. Even if you don't have permission, if you do it with absolute love, I mean a broken heart, love, love, love. I care for you. I love you, and I'm doing this with all humility. See, I think that would make all the difference, would don't you? But again, Christians tend to be so judgmental and we tend to walk around anacrinoing and diacrinoing people around us and that's where we get in trouble. And I think if we'd honor just these two written rules that are are seen in the scriptures, that would just make all the difference. Again, put down the gavel, start doing this, and I think we'll be well on our way to what? Well, here's what we would be well on our way to saving. And now you're ready for the main point. And with this, we're gonna be done. And that is what Jesus is hoping here is that when you and I have a right understanding of judging, it leads to saving. That's the point. Now you can understand what Jesus meant when he said that I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world, amen? Now again, now you understand, that doesn't mean that there's no aspect in which Jesus judges, of course he does. He's already said all judgment's been given to the Son, which is why our theology lesson was so important earlier. What Jesus is saying there is that the right kind of judging done responsibly, maturely, and with loads of love will lead to saving. Amen? Because somebody can't be saved if they don't understand their sin, somebody can't be saved if they don't understand their need for God. And it's going to take discernment for you and I to help people to see that. It's just that you don't want them to feel judged by you, which is why the things we've talked about today are so important. But make no mistake, God's goal at the end of the day is for you and I to put down the gavel, to be very careful how we discern and decide with those around us so that we don't scare them away, all for the purpose so that they might be saved so they might come to know Christ and his love for them. That's the goal, and that's why so much is at stake for you and I having a right, mature understanding of this idea of judging. And if ever we sense that we're stepping over a line, back off and apologize right away. Last thought, and then we're done. I gotta tell you, I spend, I know you guys believe this because I'm pretty honest with you about my life. I spend probably a third of my week apologizing to people. (laughs) Even yesterday, as I've been doing this whole study on judging, Kim and I spent some time together yesterday. And I was, you know, marriage is a wonderful thing, and so I'm just, I'm just you know, talking to her about all these things in my week. And golly, I, I was stunned at how judgmental I can be. And, and as I was hashing things through with Kim, I found myself saying three or four times, even just yesterday, golly, I'm, I'm much more judgmental than I realized, and yet I'm getting up and preaching tomorrow and not being judgmental. <laughs> Do you guys find the same for you? And, and as I've just been a little bit more discerning this week and my own judgmentalism, I, I realized how far I have to go. And then I started to dream, because I don't want to get down on myself, I started to dream, w- what would my world be like if I just notched down the gavel a little bit on the world around me? And, and, and how might my, my, my witness be sharper and my relationships be that much more amazing? I, I, just, I just think there's a lot of room for us in this. I know there's room for me, because God wants to save he wants to save this world that so desperately needs him. And you and I get a great chance to be a part of this. We're out of time. We're gonna go to the communion table right now here at Cactus. Rick is gonna lead us. And then also at our chapel and our venue and at the Shea Worship Center and at Mountain Valley. We have pastors there to lead in communion. So as we go to this table right now, a table that is all about the salvation we have in Christ, let's pray and then we'll worship. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for... The words of Jesus that though at times really difficult to understand, I was thinking of how Peter once said of Paul that the things that he says are not easy to understand, they're difficult, Lord, and there are some difficult things, but that, Lord, as we wade through intelligently and rightly the, the evidence in the Scriptures, Lord, we really realize that there's rhyme and reason to what you've said God, I know the hearts of so many of the people here at Scottsdale Bible. They don't want to be on the wrong side of judgment, either with you or even with others around them. So God, help us to be men and women who are mature, non-reactionary, wise in our approach to the world around us, never shying away from making discernments and decisions, but doing so, trembling, God, realizing the great love that you have for us and what's at stake. And I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And we all say together, Hey.